Hello and welcome to the Hoover Institution's 2019 Carmel Conference. I'm Chris Dower, Hoover's Director of Marketing and Strategic Communications. Our speaker in this podcast is Shelby Steele, the Robert J. and Marion E. Oster Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. The title of his talk is Race and Conservatism, and it was recorded on May 17th, 2019. Hello, hello. I don't recognize anybody here. It's kind of nice to speak in front of a group of people, and you know many of the, the faces that, that uh, maybe I can get away with some things. That <laughs> um, well, um, today I'd like to, uh, I am certainly going to talk about a little bit about conservatism, but mainly I wanna, uh, what I want to talk about today is a kind of a critique of contemporary liberalism. Uh, and what fascinates me is where it came from. How did, how did, it, uh, how did it flower? And um, I think that, uh, well, let me, let me hold off on that for just a second. Um, I think that the title I'm sort of working with really is liberalism uh, and the power of evil. It seems to me that one of the things that, that we, have, we overlooked, uh, the, the 1960s, I think, was, was probably the most transformative decade in American history, even maybe more so than the civil rights uh, era. Things truly, profoundly, deeply changed um, in the 1960s. There were every kind of movement, civil rights movement, the women's movement, the anti-war movement, uh, hippies, student movement, so forth. Uh, a lot of turmoil. Uh, and I think that uh, we, we have, uh, I think it all came from one, one reality that America had never dealt with before. And it, was, it has been, I think, the dealing, the struggle with this reality that has changed us. What is that reality? It was in the 60s America was finally confronted with the reality of its own evil. Um, America knew what kind of, we all understood what, what things were like. Uh, I can remember growing up in segregation, for example, that it was good manners that, that you never allowed blacks to come across your front door. You'd come inside your front door. They always had to use side door, back door. This was decency itself. Um, and, of course, all the way up and down through society, this is what people sort of ran into. Racism was everywhere. So in the 60s, led by the Civil Rights Movement. There was this confrontation. How did we do this? And what was so startling about it is that this was clearly the greatest nation ever, and uh, uh, nothing even remotely comparable. Uh, the nation that had articulated uh, individual freedom eternally, better than, than it ever had or will be again, and yet, in the middle of that society, with all those wonderful principles and guidelines and, and all that commitment to freedom, 
there was an institution called slavery, which was, was, it wasn't as though the evil of slavery was hidden. It was visible to everybody. The unrelenting dehumanization of millions of people. Uh, and whoa. In the 60s, America had to finally um, acknowledge that and, and, and own up to it. Um, and America did actually own up to it. And, and um, as I'll talk about a little later, uh, changed and, and uh, grew probably more than any other society in history. But that's what started it, this idea, the, uh, this idea of evil. Um, it subjected America to a moral fall. What, what is a fall? A fall is where you're, in a sense, in a kind of innocence. You don't know um, uh, you, what, what you're doing. Is, it, it doesn't seem to you to be wrong. It seems to you to be perfectly right and normal. You're innocent of anything untoward. Um, in the fall, you are confronted with the evil. And you literally, as Adam and Eve did after they bit of the forbidden fruit, you fall into, away from innocence and into knowledge. Now you know, you have this, this uh, inescapable knowledge. Oh, that really was evil. That was, uh, uh, and now I'm I have to live with that. Well, in a sense, the moral fall is life. That's the way it is. We all fall. We all hopefully learn. We all, all hopefully gain knowledge. Uh, and in the 60s, certainly America fell, went through this, this uh, moral fall and acknowledged it. In 1964, they passed the Civil Rights Bill. Discrimination is illegal. It's against the law. Um, the beginning of many, many other things uh, to come where America did everything it could to show itself innocent of, uh, of all of that. Um, <coughs> the problem that we faced in the 60s when this fall occurred was that the people who had been oppressed still lived in the society they had been oppressed in. Uh, after the Holocaust in, in, uh, in Europe, after the war, uh, Jews went somewhere else. Israel was born. Uh, a diaspora was, was opened. They went elsewhere. They didn't stay in Germany. In America, after the 64 Civil Rights Bill, we stayed right here. And so here was, here was this day-to-day -day living with each other. And blacks in this situation suddenly had, given their vast suffering, enormous moral authority uh, that whites did not have. Whites were then in this living with, uh, at a deficit of moral authority. Because any black could say, well, you know what you did, you blah, blah, you've, you've owned up to it yourself. That is one of the deep I think uh, tensions of American life and culture, uh, I call that circumstance a crucible. Uh, it is a, it is a, 
an ongoing sort of uh, dilemma that we we try to we work out, try to fight with, and struggle with in different ways at different times. And but uh, that crucible then has, I think, had a tremendous impact on American culture, who we are, how we define ourselves today. We're still struggling. We have all these kinds of crazy words, diversity, um, inclusiveness, and what in God's name, what do they mean? Um, well, you sort of sense these groups struggling to try to find a common language, a common uh, sensibility. Um, and, but that is, that, that's what we lost in the 60s. Uh, um, we, we, that, that, sim, that sort of simple golden age where we didn't know the extent to which we had, um, we didn't understand really what we had done. This crucible led to a certain force, a very specific force, and that is the, the reality that in America today, I think since the 1960s, certainly today, innocence of the racist past is power. Innocence is power. If you can, if you can say, well, I'm innocent of that, all of that ugly evil, I have no connection to that, that ugly evil, um, then you are legitimate, morally legitimate person. Uh, and you are entitled then to claim power, to pursue power. Um, and so therefore, in American life, innocence, this, whether it's a pretense or whether it's real, became a power in itself uh, and remains a power uh, to this day. Uh, this, this tension, I think, again, gave us gave America a new moralistic liberalism devoted to establishing Americans' innocence of the past. Our liberalism, our left, our political left, cultural left, um, is, is sort of drunk on the, the pretense of innocence. Innocence, innocence, innocence uh, for everything. 1990, I can remember that at Stanford University there was a demonstration against what the, the Western civilization class. Uh, you would think, at, at my own years in college, Western Civ was an automatic everywhere. It was a required class. No one would, no university would think of eliminating Western civilization. It was like freshman cop, a requirement. Um, but students demonstrated, led by Jesse Jackson, um, and they said that Western civilization had been racist. It had been uh, imperialistic. It practiced colonialism from one end of the globe to the other. It uh, humiliated and devastated people who, people of color, it ignored them, it, on and on and on, which, which of course was true. Stanford University stopped teaching Western civilization. All across the country, colleges and universities stopped teaching Western civilization, certainly the greatest body of, of knowledge and of document, uh, documenting human e evolution itself. And, and now we suddenly say, well, in order to have our innocence 
right now in the present, we're going to eliminate that, that class and we're not going to require it. Well, this liberalism has led to, to a lot of that kind of thing. And, um, term I have uh, grown to like virtue signaling is is uh, um, where you you uh, what pronoun should we now use for for people and you want to write, find the right pronoun so you you're not uh, guilty of of this or that and we, all through our society we have political correctness. Um, I remember as a kid, I, when I was young, I was a colored guy. Then I was a Negro. Um, then finally I got to be black. I kind of liked that one. Um, then it was, we were Afro-Americans. I, I don't know what went wrong there, but then we, we became African-Americans. Um, and the whole country had to memorize that. Treat me accordingly, or, or it would be a microaggression. Uh, that is power. That is, a, and in many cases, that is a destructive power. You start canceling Western civilization, you are breaking down the institutions that make you great over your. Again, the word I like to use is guilt over the past. And, and this is one of the things that America, post-60s America, uh, uh, has, has produced. We are, in a sense, disarmed in defending the best elements of our own culture and society. Because in defending them, we can, we'll be immediately called racist, uh, bigot of one kind or another, and so forth. So in this liberalism, there are three sort of, has three sort of arms to it. The first is a dissociation from that ugly racist past. Somehow you demonstrate that. Somehow you signal that. That brings you innocence and, and power. Um, you see this in the, whole, the, the movement today to tear down the statues of uh, the, uh, the uh, Civil War uh, generals and so forth and the, uh, all around, all over the country. Um, well, you get away from that history. You, you innocence is to, is to crush it, destroy it, eliminate it. The problem is, of course, it was still there. It still happened. Uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing to know that it happened, not to have the world cleansed of, of reality. Uh, but, but again, when, you, when all you really care about is innocence of the past evil. It's a small price to pay. Um, the second arm of, of this new liberalism, of course, is deference toward the former victims. I used to, it was a time in my life I kind of liked that one. Um, but I understood, I came to understand that uh, it wasn't as simple as it, as it seemed. Uh, there was, there was, uh, there were, What's, what's the word, uh, attachments to it that, that uh, I didn't know I was agreeing to at the time being. According to the classic uh, deference toward uh, former victims is affirmative action, which is now way beyond any, uh, just simply a policy that institutions have. Affirmative action is now a, a cultural format 
we, we live by. Uh, for that it, any sort of employment situation uh, uh, or a situation of entree, um, uh, we now want to show deference to people who are associated with a formerly oppressed group uh, and give them a preference. And um, universities, again, are an example of, of, uh, of this. Um, Harvard University, 8% uh, of every freshman class has to be black. Has to be black. Only if you didn't lower standards for black students, only 1% of, of Harvard's freshman class would be black. So 7% are there uh, under false pretenses. You think they don't know that? Um, they're not aware. They're, um, I was at a university not long ago, Tufts in Boston, and a black student said to me, my roommate calls us, says I wouldn't be here if I wasn't black. So I hit him. Um, I'm in trouble now. And then he looks at me with kind of pathos and says, uh, well, he said I wouldn't be here. He said, Is that true? I had to say yes. That's what, uh, that's what liberalism, in a sense, does to the people it claims to be helping, put them in an impossible. It is, it is for the rest of his life, he can never overcome the stigma of inferiority, which is precisely the, 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 the essence of racism from the very beginning was inferiority. Now you sort of lock them into it so that Harvard University can, have, can be legitimate, morally legitimate. And they care about their legitimacy. They don't care about that student. Um, but that's the second arm of modern liberalism. The last one, interesting, is uh, anti-Americanism. Um, they're in hating America, disliking America, mistrusting America, there is innocence. Uh, and, and moral legitimacy. America's inherently an evil country. Look at what it did. And so now that I'm, I'm opposed, I don't like it, uh, I'm innocent of that evil. So in, in being anti-American, I'm, I'm separating myself from that evil. And, and so now anti-Americanism is the rage of most, again, uh, university communities, from the professors especially, from the, the professors um, on down. Uh, just any sort of negative comment about America uh, wins you uh, applause in certain circles. So this is a liberalism that was conceived in response to evil. It's still dealing with, with that old evil. And it's now found uses for it. Nancy Pelosi, just uh, not too long ago, uh, called President Trump's border wall that he wanted an immorality. Well, why did she do that? What, 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 was, what was going on there? 
Well, she called it an immorality because by implication, if he was going to build a wall, it was against people of color, and therefore he was a racist. Therefore, he's tied to that old American evil. And therefore, my innocence comes from hating him. The more I hate him, the more innocent I am. My hatred is a measure of my innocence. So I hate Donald Trump. I can't, I can't stand. Um, and I've had people just sort of quiver, you know, that they're, they're really innocent. <laughs> they're really innocent. Um, um, the genius and it is a kind of genius of this liberalism, is that it learned how to extract power from America's past evils. Nancy Pelosi extracted power because she slowed Mr. Trump down with one word. But it resonated through American history. It resonated, caught him where America was really vulnerable. You're a racist. Now I don't know where the wall is, what it is. It's, it's, she, she, it looks like she won, at least for the time being. She had no alternative program to offer, no, no solution or anything. Uh, but she had the power to stop uh, the wall. So it is, this is how the past uh, sort of lives in our, our life uh, today. Um, this leads to what I call, um, well, I'm, I'm doing a, doc, a, a documentary and on, the, the, uh, on the racial incident that occurred in Ferguson, Missouri about five years ago. Uh, Michael Brown, young black, 18-year-old, was shot and killed by a white policeman. A uh, huge explosion, the whole nation was involved. They, they followed it in Europe, even. Um, you know, one, one boy shot by one policeman, it later turns out through sort of grand jury reports and so forth, that it looked like he's pretty, he was sort of the guilty party himself and that the, the policeman was, was shooting in, uh, in self-defense. Uh, well, of course, so what? If, what do the facts matter? Um, Ferguson had to become an emblem. Liberalism demanded that it be an emblem of, of racism because white cop killing black kid, the amount of power involved in that moment is just unbelievable. It, it is, uh, that's the kind, if, if, if Michael Brown was, was shot and killed out of white racism, Think of the, the moral authority that gives black America. We're still the victims of this old American evil. America's still a rotten country. We're still suffering. And of course, people at that point then stand up and, and make contributions and, and uh, there's money to be made, there's money passed around. Um, I call this pot of gold racism. It's a kind of, kind of racism that, 
that uh, <laughs> uh, if you're smart, there's something in it for you. You you can uh, you can. Um, we've met people who've who've done very well from uh, Michael Brown's uh, uh, sad, tragic uh, passing. Uh, but in again, in America today, we're we're that's where we're at. Of course, the most um, comic example of that is. Jesse Smollett, who put the noose around his neck and poured bleach all over himself. And he failed, but he only failed because he was incompetent. <laughs> he actually brilliantly read America. He said, I know these stupid white people will feel guilty and give me. And for the first two weeks, they did. He was supported by every major newspaper in the country. And, and so, so he, he manipulated this, this situation that we, this, this new liberalism that we find ourselves in. Um, but he, again, he didn't follow up on the details very well. And so he, he, he finally got caught. But uh, they're still adjudicating the case. Um, and that those forces that uh, almost made him wealthy are still in play. Um, the greatest ingenuity of liberalism, uh, and this is the last point I want to make, is that it doesn't just offer you a set of principles or, in fact, it never does offer you an ideology or some systematic analysis of society that it then makes recommendations. So, uh, liberalism today offers people an identity. That's its genius. It doesn't give you ideas, it gives you a self, an identity of innocence. If you're a liberal, you're a good person. Conversely, if you're a conservative, you're a <laughs> I won't say it. Uh, but that's, that is the way the culture, the, the, the culture breaks down. This, this idea of, of identity uh, fascinates me. Um, you you want to say you're not racist? Just say, well, you know, I'm a Democrat. If you say, well, you know, I'm a Republican, um, then, the, then that's, uh, <laughs> you want to be careful. You know, um, Republicans have to sort of hide out a little bit um, and, uh, and, and be careful. Uh, you see this working in, in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley, obviously full of wealth. It's a kind of testament to free enterprise and freedom and ingenuity and entrepreneurialism and all those things. Uh, and yet, what is its political identity? It's liberal, really liberal in many cases. Um, well, it's, it is trying to associate this sort of innocence with its brand. So when you say Silicon Valley, you say um, they're also, they're not just brilliant, they're good. They're a, a role model. 
they're doing, they're using their extraordinary wealth to make it a better world. Uh, and, and that gets, and so that's, why would you then say if you were in Silicon Valley, well, I'm a Republican? Um, you're already rich. Uh, so again, you, you, liberalism offers that in ways that uh, uh, obviously it disadvantages uh, conservatives. Today at universities, uh, students are divided up by their ethnic group, by their race. They come to college early, have a separate orientation just for that, uh, for black students especially. Um, they love black students to really be alienated. And they basically teach them alienation, teach them how victimized they were uh, and so forth and how entitled they are. And, and they keep this, this sort of politics, politics going. Um, and it, it is uh, one of the most tragic things I've, I've seen to do that to. <coughs> To, to young people to isolate them in that way and, and uh, tell them basically who to be and, and what to believe uh, and so forth. Uh, my own undergraduate school uh, has a program now that does, uh, that does that and of course they're all pounding their chest how glorious they are because they're helping these students who are coming to a, a college that's largely white and, and, and they're going to be alienated and they're going to be, da, 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 you know, well, back when I went to college, <laughs> at this same college, there were only nine black students, uh, 2,000 student body. Uh, we, we did just fine. Um, but today, uh, that is, uh, that's not a possibility. Um, you, you're going to be isolated. There are going to be classes just for you. They're going to, they're going to rebuild, the, resegregate the, the whole institution. What about conservatism? Conservatism, I think, suffers from one um, profound problem, and that is that um, it does not know how to make power out of its country's shames, its country's faults, its country's uh, evils. Uh, liberalism found out how to do that and has taken over our culture. Conservatism does not know how to do that, can't... Um, sort of wants to press this, get, we want to get beyond this, this business of, of racism and all and, and negotiating our way through that constantly. Uh, and that then puts them, puts liberals in a position because they say, oh no, it'll never leave, it's always here. They, we've, liberals have found a way to make hay of it, make money off of it, so their whole careers. Um, and Republicans, conservatives, um, have no way to do that at all. Now, will they? What, what should they do? Can they, is there something that conservatives can do? Um, not as much as I would like. But there, there is one thing, I think, that, that um, might be done. One of the problems in race relations is that we keep seeing race relations through a prism of justice. 
keep looking for is that, you know, here's obviously slavery and segregation were, were unjust uh, institutions. And so, so we have to treat them and fix them by enforcing justice. Big mistake. Then that's what then takes you down the road of, of liberalism, and you end up exploiting the very people you want to help. I think it would be good if conservatives tried to shift the paradigm, to use that cliche, uh, from justice to progress. Uh, what kind of progress are we making? How do you make? progress? How do you improve the schools in the neighborhoods where they're rotten? How do you, what do you do to put together the, the black family that's been, that's been destroyed? What, how do you make progress from here, from where we are right now? Um, and uh, that seems to me to be the best chance. What racism, uh, my own feeling about racism is that it's been it has been um, delegitimized. Uh, it's not legitimate. There will, human beings have the, the, that impulse. They will be human beings. Um, but we have a lot of bad imp uh, impulses, stupidity being one. You have to watch out for it. It's dangerous. It's destructive to yourself and to others. You can't, you, you have to, we, it's not good to be stupid. It's not good to be racist. And so we have to treat it that way. Um, and after that, we should assiduously leave it alone. Take it out of everything. Don't put it in anywhere for any reason, ever. A multiracial society with a history like ours, anytime you see a whisper of race, you will see corruption. Nothing else, ever. There's no good in it. There's no good in stupidity. Um, so I, I uh, well, we'll bring a certain amount of, we'll go to the inner city, we'll bring black students in, and we'll make sure they're aware of their culture. And uh, What do you mean? You don't even know what their culture is. You're just segregating them and teaching them all of the bad things they're going to learn in, in that kind. Well, they should be integrated. When groups are integrated, the black middle class is integrated, they're thriving. They're observing all the same things the middle class does anyway. But the, the masses are, uh, are more in trouble. I think that the value that we ought to begin to focus on uh, and organize everything around is that old uh, um, value that, uh, uh, not Thoreau, but Emerson wrote about, self-reliance. Self-reliance ought to be the, the cornerstone of social reform. Um, anytime you give somebody something, there should be an ask. Uh, you get it, but here's what you have to do. If you don't want to do it, you don't get it. Uh, you have to take charge of your own, take agency over your own life, uh, over, and, and we'll go this far but no further. It's the limit that is more important than anything else, and it's the limit that liberalism has eradicated. It's never, you're, it's, it's never, you know, you, if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you are black in America today, you don't have to meet any limit. You don't have to live by any standard. 
you will be, exceptions will be made for you everywhere. And so you, you know that. How could you not know that? What would be the incentive in meeting the standards? So again, I think there, that uh, self-reliance is, uh, which asks you to be the agent is the, is the most important thing. Uh, my favorite uh, black leader of, my second favorite black leader of all time, I, Frederick Douglass is the first. Second is Booker T. Washington, who, who said that uh, we should cast down our bucket where we are. He didn't say put your, we should put down our bucket. He used the word cast, which I think symbolizes when you're casting for something, you're, you're aspiring, you're reaching, you're hoping to, to strike. Um, cast down, fish right where you are. Start there. Go to school. Uh, raise the children that you have. Uh, do all of the simple, obvious things that anybody knows. Yet here we are, America, without the moral authority to ask that of people. We will not do that. We'll do anything but that. Because we'll be called a racist. We'll be called a bigot. And so we, we'll give you all the money you want because we're wealthy. But we, we won't ask you to do anything and hold you accountable to it. And so you get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. and become more and more of, of, a, of a problem. My point being that conservatism is the answer to our social ills. There is no other answer. Um, people who, who, are in, who are suffering in inner city, poverty, homeless all over every, every street, um, you can give, keep giving if you want. Keep it up. Um, but until you ask and make it clear that you mean it, um, that's where America is, I think, uh, that's where we're really at risk. Do we have that kind of backbone? Do we have that kind of fiber? Uh, are we going to take the storm of abuse that's going to come our way if we, <laughs> if we say those, those kind of things? Um, it's, that's the challenge, it seems to me. I'll stop there. Thank you. For more podcasts from the Hoover Institution, please visit hoover.org or Hoover's channels on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Podbean, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Dower for the Hoover Institution. Thanks for listening.